Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, you've probably noticed there's been one hell of a meltdown in crypto markets this year, but the nine-owned pedestrian group is having none of it. Uh, Right in the thick of the bleak winter for cryptocurrencies, Nine's media unit, uh, which has the largest 18 to 35 audience in the market, will this week launch a standalone publishing venture called The Chainsaw, focusing squarely on Web3 and all things blockchain for the mainstream rather than just business. Pedestrian CEO Matt Rowley says at least 20% of younger demos are already in Web3 via cryptocurrencies and NFTs. But what the hell is pedestrian thinking? This blockchain bubble and bus cycle is supposed to be busting. We're about to find out. On the mics today with Matt is the Chainsaw's new editorial chief, Sam Howard, an Australian expat deep in the blockchain Web3 underground who was lured back from the west coast of the US to lead the charge on this ambitious project. Stick around because if you're like me and trying to figure out where all this lands, there's a decent chance we might just learn something, even about this elusive thing known as the metaverse. It might just be a little overcooked, but we'll dig in on that one a bit later. So welcome, Matt and Sam. To Matt, you first. The really obvious question, uh, which I mentioned in the setup, is what the hell are you thinking? Uh, Cryptos have gone certified crazy. Millions of punters globally have burnt cash. Governments and regulators are moving in. And if we think in terms of, I guess, brand and reputation from the outside, and I'm definitely an outsider on this, it looks like blockchain and cryptos stink. But you think actually there's um, a really big opportunity here. Enlighten us. What's the opportunity? What's the business case, Matt? And welcome. Yeah, good day, mate. Uh, thanks, Paul, for that really soft opener into the conversation. <laughs> yes, yes. No, well, look, yeah, it's it's only the uh, fifth bear market that Bitcoin's had. Oh, only five. Yeah, right. And, and it's 11 <laughs> years that it's been around. So. We have kind of seen this one uh, before, and I think, yeah, so we've got a dip just like all markets kind of, um, and I guess, you know, the sort of main sort of financial markets are seeing one at the same time. So, yeah, while we've got a dip, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is the end of the story. And obviously, we fervently believe that actually this is part of the evolution of the internet. Um, and so that, yeah, this might be a bear market, but in Web3, they've got another term for bear markets, they call it a build market. So, you know, this is the time where you kind of build and you put something together. And we think that this is the perfect time to put together the chainsaw and, and, and get it out there and, and get it to our audience. So what is the opportunity, Matt? You're being slightly contrarian here then. What are you seeing that at least I'm not, and I'm sure a bunch of others are going, well, we better pay some attention. What are you seeing? Well, we saw, so I guess, you know, from the CEO's viewpoint in terms of sort of a business opportunity, we saw two things. I mean, obviously, our second and third biggest sort of advertising categories in terms of where we make most of our revenue are um, tech and finance. So there are two areas that we were already thinking about how do we kind of deepen our offering. And then the second thing we saw is we were talking to our audiences and listening to what they're interested in. And anywhere between, in our current audiences, anywhere between 50 and 60% of them want to know more about some you know, parts of Web3. Right. So, and what we also then found out when we delved even deeper was that around about 20% of them, and I think that's a really interesting proportion for other reasons we'll talk about in a minute, around about 20% of them have had something to do with Web3. And I, I should probably talk about what Web3 is in a sec because people would be going, what, what, what the hell are you talking about? Correct. But, yes. You know, yeah, broadly speaking, to get, you know, something like, you know, whether it's crypto or NFT, around about 20% of our youth audience 
have either in some way invested in it, bought in it, or work with it, right? And when we think that's actually, if you think about it, that's a that's a lot of people um, already, and I think it's very prescient um, in terms of like kind of where we are in its evolution through our, our audience. Well, to your point, about a third of the entire market has a mortgage, so you're only ten points away from you know the mortgage market, right? And that dominates almost all our conversation. Absolutely, and actually, I mean, in that same research, only about fifty percent of our readership actually have some sort of investment of any kind, right? So, you know, whether that's shares or whatever. Um, and so for the fact that like around about, I think it's around about 14% of them are invested in, in you know, something to do with Web3 is big, you know, considering where we are in its evolution because it's still very, very early. Got it. So just on that, before we get deep into the weeds on some other stuff, Matt, what is Web3? What should we be thinking of as Web3? Or what do you see? What do you and Sam see as what Web3 is? Well, Web3 is basically anything that is enabled by a blockchain, you know, which is basically a, a piece of code that is decentralized. And what that means is that, are you allowed to swear on this podcast, Paul? I do. Okay, good. So it basically means that it's unfuckwithable. Right. <laughs> so what that means is, you're right, you know, it's not, there's no one holder of a piece of information. Like, for example, your bank tells you, you have this amount of money. And if they told you, you don't have that amount of money, you don't have a lot of people to talk to. Right. In terms of like, you know, how many Bitcoin you, you own, there are thousands of computers around the world that say, yes, you own that many Bitcoin. And one computer might try and change that, but all the others will say, no, that's not right. Okay. So that's the idea of sort of decentralization and that that, that code is unfuckwithable, right? So that's the idea of that. And so what that means is, yes, you can, you can talk about whether you own a currency like Bitcoin. You can also talk about whether you own um, you know, a piece of, um, you know, virtual art or whether you own something in a game, for example. So it's all about ownership. And so a way of thinking about it and why it's called Web3 is that the first sort of evolution of the internet was all about sort of um, information or reading, okay? So you could go and access information and that was Web1. Web2 was about then being able to uh, write, so read, write, so in being able to talk. So that's where social media came in, where you could talk back and you could talk to each other. And what they say Web3 is about is about read, write, own. So it's about owning things and being able to prove that you own things on the internet um, without a bank or another organization or a social media giant telling you whether you actually own that or not. It says that it's something that's open, that everybody can see. And like I said earlier on, it's um, permissionless or it's unfuckwithable, right? So that everybody can see who owns what and it can't be cheated. Okay, good explanation. Now, Sam, you, you're deep in the underground here, so let's get the underground view rather than the boss's view. <laughs> um, so I think it's important to just have a think about how we've recorded information in history. So we've always needed a ledger system. So back to like the Stone Ages, if you had an item and someone else has to verify that who says that information is true, so blockchains basically introduce the opportunity to use like code or computers to verify that information is true. So if you are to send a transaction from A to B, instead of having someone and someone being human means that there's always that risk of fraud or um, interference by having a computer who it cannot transfer that data unless it is true. And because you have a whole decentralized computer, all of the nodes along the network are also confirming that it's true. It's got to be aligned, yeah. Yeah, this is the first time that this has been introduced. And so, yeah, that's why we're seeing a whole bunch of use cases that are popping up out of this and we'll just continue to see more use cases. 
Well, this potentially means we could may mean uh, we get less auditors. That could be a good thing, but we'll um, we'll see how that one plays out. So just before we get into um, a whole bunch around what, what you're planning, Sam, let me just dart back to Matt for a moment. In terms of, Matt, the, the business model here, the advertisers, how you're going to generate revenue currently and what it could look like, what is the big picture here? Are you going to, for instance, take a hit on this for the first year? Is it a loss-making machine, do you think, or is your numbers saying um, you can wash your face in year one? Yeah, though we... Without getting too much into it, we think, yeah, we believe absolutely uh, we can. It's obviously always one of those things where it's front-loaded, right? So we're actually hiring a whole team of um, seven people. It's a great news story for journalism. So there's a whole new team of journalists being hired uh, to do this. And obviously, you know, you, you start to build and then we believe um, within a year and, and definitely after that, it'll pay back because we think there's a massive opportunity here. I mean, Sam will go more into like the how we're going to do that, but like in terms of the business model though it to start out with it's very much yeah like the rest of our business largely sort of advertising content you know event uh, sponsorship based and we think that uh, obviously talking to web3 companies there's a great opportunity there there's definitely no other publications in australia that's looking to approach this the way that we're going to and actually we think it's even a bit of a, a global first in the way we're going to do that but obviously sam will talk more about that but then I think you alluded to it about the future. The thing about Web3, and you know, I guess I was touching on it earlier, is that it's this sort of like ownership piece. So what you'll find when you start to work in Web3 is that you know, quite often um, when you're working with a site um, or a provider in Web3, you have the ability to have a little you know, button up the top right of a website that says, you know, connect wallet. And what that means is then suddenly you know, you're able to do all those things to do more than you can do currently in terms of commerce. I mean, it's always been a holy grail, I think, for all publishers is, you know, the, the concept of whether it's subscriptions or microtransactions or people paying for things, it just makes it so much easier, right? So it just gets that transfer going with nothing else uh, sort of in between. And I guess the other bit there is that, you know, what you find is, you know, history has told us, and if you look at, for example, AFR, which is, you know, the most, um, I think, most expensive news subscription in the world, people are willing to pay for financial and tech information. Um, and that's exactly what this is going to be. So I'm not. That's not what we're doing straight off the bat, so to speak. But um, we'll be going more down our sort of traditional routes of sort of advertising with both Web three companies and sort of more traditional, you know, Web two companies. Um, but then we do think there's that opportunity in the future. So Matt, it sounds to me like maybe there's a Web three iteration here of affiliate marketing or revenue shares as well. Then is that sort of am I going too far out into the metaverse for that? <laughs> I think there could be, but also what we have to be, and we're very, very cognizant of is, you know, around not giving financial advice. Right. So, you know, and, and making sure we protect our audience and that, you know, just like any other business publication will, it's fine to give people that sort of impartial information, but, you know, they need to make up their own mind when it comes to when they're going to be investing in those sorts of things. Got it. So we're going to get to Sam in a sec. Um, the final question for you on this one, this part of it, Matt, is, um, you mentioned it earlier, the talent. So finding talent, extraordinarily difficult for everyone, journalism even worse. You had to find Sam tucked away in some dark corner of um, Silicon Valley or something, I think, and, <laughs> and beyond. You have some of the other people you've hired from overseas as well, expats, I think. Yeah, no, it has been. It was like, yeah, so it was um, we were all very happy with the concept and the idea and like, yeah, let's get out and start recruiting. And then you realise that in this space, I mean, clearly you've got to have people who are experts. You've got to have people who know what they are talking about deeply if they're going to be able to do what our mission is. And so you've, they need to have that um, experience. You can't 
you know, I think in many other places, for example, you could set up a team and as long as somebody has got good general journalistic experience, they can pick up a beat, right? This isn't one of those cases. You can't just learn this thing on the fly. You need to be sort of genuinely in it. And so what that meant was, yeah, we started to have to look um, a little bit more further afield, you know, found, uh, yeah, like you say, found Sam somewhere between Silicon Valley and Europe, where I think she spent, um, you know, the last few years of her life and actually just joining today, Tom, another member of the team, another Aussie, but found him in France living there. And, you know, and he's come back to do our sort of, um, you know, finance or crypto beat. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've had to look a little bit differently to find those people who can really give that qualified viewpoint that we need. Mm. No pressure, Sam, by the sounds of it. Um, I asked Matt the, um, the same question I want to ask you, which is, what the hell were you thinking um, on this? Cryptos, you're, you're in the thick of it, but cryptocurrencies at least are in deep trouble at the moment. Um, why will Web3, blockchain, cryptos, NFTs and the rest come good? Because I'm assuming that's why you're here. You think it's going to be okay. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So I think it's important to recognize that last year, for example, 2021 was like the first really mainstream growth of blockchain awareness. So that was via NFTs. And NFTs are just, yeah, one component of what blockchain can do. It's been around for a very long time. As Matt said, there's been a lot of bear runs, bull runs, bear runs, bull runs, as various things happen across the market. But it's solidifying in people's minds as an opportunity to provide more access to like transparency. So yeah, just a little bit about my background. So I started in NGOs with World Vision and found it quite frustrating about how a lot of people um, really struggled to trust like large organisations. So despite donations getting there. What they were doing with the money, you mean? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Australians are really generous. They do want to, you know, make an impact, but they do feel that it's hard to trust anything these days. Um, So there's a big trust issue. So after World Vision, I was working as a writer um, and an editor as well um, before working with Vice Media and freelance writing about blockchain and, and enter the rabbit hole and I learned about the technology. And then in the last three years... I think years, it was like 2015 or something, yeah? It's 16. It was, it was quite five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, so my first uh, pieces on blockchain was published in 2018. Right, And okay. then, yeah, started working for Yap Global, which is a, a niche crypto like media firm and spent the last, yeah, three years, uh, the last six months work going across US and Europe, basically working with uh, different reporters at different publications. So from like... Bloomberg to Time Magazine, CNBC, Wired, um, and helping tech journalists, uh, like introducing them to the people behind the projects and recognize that, yeah, it's a very complex space with a, a lot of jargon. And working with a lot of those journalists, there is a big gap in storytelling from a more youth-focused lens, which is exactly what Pedestrian Group have been able to nail. So there's been a lot of people I've met who have noticed that, you know, like, for example, there's no, like, Vice-style, like, deep dives on the subculture phenomenon of Web3. It it does tend to be just market go up, market go down. And then there's also a lot of just poor media that's out there about crypto. So there's, um, you know, some media publications that, don't disclaim that they're, you know, promoting particular brands when they're being paid for it, or you get young people right. who are making pretty poor decisions and are at risk because they're trusting some <laughs> crypto bro on YouTube who's got 10,000 followers. Um, or you have some right. crypto projects who who find, you know, ways to get like bots to show that they've got a large audience. So there's a lot of gaming going on of, the, of, of it, full stop. Yeah. 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 Um, interesting, Sam. Um, before we get into the chainsaw and what it looks like, I do have to ask, at some point this year, though, when things were really melting, 
did you at least have any doubt about what the hell's going to happen here? Or were you, a, have you been a, an unwavering disciple? Yeah. So I think I can confidently speak for the crypto community when I say that whenever there is a bear market, it's, it's quite a like disappointing and emotional time. But when you're actually meeting the people in person who are the ones who are building in this market, you can see that it's a rough patch and there's just more people who are entering the market in terms of like investment and in terms of people who are actually building the projects as well. So these wow. times are just to, for everyone just to put their head down and continue developing, continue building because the whole ethos of Web3 is basically it's building blocks and it's open source and it's permissionless. So it's not going away like the cat is out of the bag now. So it's about during these times, it's people are finding better ways to keep building. And whenever bear markets do happen, it's usually a consequence of a particular project where their tokenomics, for example, doesn't work. And, you know, it's like the dot-com boom or, you know, internet of the 90s where you're going to have a shitload or you're going to have a lot of projects who will try to use this technology and they'll try to build communities and they might not be ready. So that's an important part of our storytelling as well, is alerting people to how to pay attention and, you know, um, through data-driven stories, how do we help people make the right decisions and understand how, how to recognize like what is worth paying attention to or how to avoid things that can put like young people at risk. Got it. And we will get to the chainsaw in a sec, but there is one question. It may sound to you like a simpleton, which I am. But if, as you say, the blockchain is transparent and it's robust, then why have we seen to date plenty, at least, um, scams, crims and crooks? This is not about the blockchain technology. This is what maybe it sits over the top of it. But there's still some dodgy stuff that happens in Web3 blockchain world. So if blockchain is so robust, transparent, why is there so much shit that happens? Why have so many people been burnt? I hope that doesn't sound too dumb. Not at all. And it's a really important question. So a lot of the scams and risks that happen are things that happen in, in every industry. So for example, when you get a text saying that you need to go pick up your box from Amazon, even though you didn't order anything from Amazon. Like this is right. happening across all, all spaces. And yet yeah, scams and, and hacks can happen. So for example, um, when you're like purchasing crypto, you want to take it to a hard wallet. So there's ways to secure yourself. And it's just a matter of getting used to these processes so that you can yeah, familiarize yourself with how to stay safe on the internet. The internet is a, has always been, a, you know, essentially, a I wouldn't say dark and scary because it's also very, a great space as well. It's got both, right? Right. This is the opportunity for both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Sam, what is the chainsaw going to look like? Basically, you got content. What's the content? What's the tone? What's the coverage? Yep. Um, so there'll be three main verticals. So one of them will be culture. That will be going far beyond NFTs. So how does, for example, an NFT collection shape the future of how a business um, interacts with their community? And you know, what fashion shows that are going on in the metaverse or, you know, how are decentralized autonomous organizations forming and how are they managing to, you know, buy football teams in the UK. So that will cover the cultural element of what's happening within Web3. There'll be finance as well. So it's not just Bitcoin, but it's stories of the, you know, the people behind the projects that explain why markets are moving. So beyond just market go up, market go down, green candle, red candle. And that's essentially the business coverage we see mostly to date, right? And in whether it be the mastheads or beyond, it's it's that, what you said, it's that sort of binary or narrow focus on, on market behaviour. 
Yep. So, yeah, go, basically going beyond. Crypto has uh, blood market this weekend. Uh, so not blood market. What do they say? Um, you know, just very <laughs> sort of like over-the-top descriptions of um, the market going down a right. little bit. Bloody journos. <laughs> yeah. Important, sorry. Yeah, who would think they would hype it? <laughs> <laughs> who would? <laughs> yeah. Yes, okay. So there's the first. You've got culture. Culture, finance, and business. So business will be yep. more about helping other businesses understand what innovative people are doing within this space. What are some of the use cases within blockchain for enterprise? So for example, you know, how are companies using blockchain as a means to track the source of where things are coming from? How are luxury brands, for example, using it to save themselves millions on fraudulent products? You know, how can you track that when your packeted food says it's organic, like that it's actually organic. Or Coca-Cola, for example, who are using it to track whether their supply chains are ethical. So just explaining like how the use cases of blockchain will shape different businesses and also um, about how like there is a demand for transparency now. So that's going to drive consumer interest and demand. So basically with Web3, it's about decentralization, it's about transparency, it's about trust. So we will likely see young people start to gravitate towards the brands who are being very honest and upfront about how they are, you know, how they're getting their community involved to put their hand up to make help make decisions about the future of a company. Companies will like recognize it is advantageous as a business to prove to their consumers that what they're saying they're doing is legitimate and true. Okay, good. So culture, finance, and business. Some of the other things you've, you mentioned in, in, in an earlier conversation too, Sam, was supply chain transparency, whether it be in agriculture or, to your point, Coke and ethical supply chains. And you think that this is also going to, for instance, in the use of slave labor or exploitation, the blockchain somehow going to help all this? Yep. Um, so it provides a greater opportunity to be able to track what's going along the supply chain. In saying that, you will still need human verifiers on the ground in the real life who are making sure that this is happening. But because of how the blockchain is developed, a data point cannot move along unless it fulfills the contract. So this might be, for example, a luxury product has uh, like QR code and then as long as that QR code has a tick and it's legitimate, mm. then the data can can transfer along. So tell me, what are the most interesting cases that you've seen out there in terms of what's happening? I think you mentioned in the culture part, it'll go past like Snoop Dogg's latest, you know, purchase of some an NFT or virtual art. You'll get to slave labor and so forth. What are some really, really interesting ones that you've seen that give uh, my audience a sense of what could be coming down the track for them? So a really good example, I think, is, well, the NFT use case, it's, it can be difficult to understand why NFTs and JPEGs that you can download are actually beneficial. But NFTs are basically enabling, through art, uh, enabling like a, a decentralized, I guess, exposure for artists, for example. So if you are an artist, traditionally, you would have to have on your CV, for example, that you have this particular art degree, that you have had this experience at these different gallery exhibitions to get an opportunity. So instead of having those gatekeepers, it means that people actually can have an opportunity to introduce their work to a, a global community of art buyers, which 
from that is also bringing people together. So it's not just, you know, like from a local aspect, it's actually tapping into an entire global market of a particular niche. And then after that, you'll find that people are kind of like finding their own people and their own communities around the world. So I think the that whole subcultural phenomenon of of how we're now kind of seeing, you know, globalization has hit most of the corners of the world. And now we're seeing people kind of congregate together within different communities. So I think that's, yeah, that's a really interesting use case. So lots of new global tribes, if you like. Yeah, exactly. And from like an impact perspective, I think the most obvious use case is just for uh, helping communities that have been really badly impacted by inflation. So I think we have like 6% inflation or so right now. Mm, Six to seven, yeah. Seven, which is causing a lot of alarm for Australians and it's really expensive to buy everyday things, including fuel. But then if you compare that to Argentina, like they just hit their inflation rate of 70%. So basically their dollar is just going down and down and down because their economic structure is broken. And so crypto is enabling people to have a new form of hedge where they can, you know, protect their finance from just losing value like every day. And that could be in the form of like a stable coin, for example, or I was working with a project who was tokenizing um, cattle ranches. So it's it's providing <laughs> new really? avenues. Yeah. So it's like new avenues of different hedges, whereas before it was, you know, traditional stocks and bonds and also educating people too. So younger people are much more aware of investing than they were before. It's not to say that crypto isn't volatile, but like financial literacy is increasing because of the fact that crypto is so much more accessible to people. And sorry, one Mm. more thing, fractionalized real estate is also super interesting. So it's really hard for, like I'm 30 and I like, it's really hard for people my age and my friends to afford a house and that's just going to get worse. And there's more people in Australia who have 15 houses than one house, which is outrageous. Hmm. How does that feel, Matt? Is that good? (laughs) I'm still on the one, mate. Don't you worry about that. Uh, I did try. <laughs> Basically, sorry to rant, but it just provides an opportunity for you can break down like a token of a of a house so that people can invest in a portion of a house as an investment. And it just lowers that entry level to wealth generation. In that context, I could own um, a couple of uh, scotch fillets in Argentina in a, in a cow and I could have a brick in, in Matt's mansion. I like that idea. I'm diversifying. <laughs> yeah. um, Sam, what is the, the tone of the chainsaw? How's it going to, you know, read and feel? when someone young like me comes in for the first time? So the main goal is to make it approachable, focused on, it would be your sort of investigative cultural uh, lens kind of like vice, but it's also because it's data-driven, professional, it's similar to Bloomberg Crypto, for example. Um, So sometimes when we can, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, a little bit humorous as Australians are, but also being a trusted, authoritative uh, source of like breaking news and insights from the industry. Really interesting to watch this one. I think, uh, Matt, it launches pretty soon, right? Is it this week? Yep, this week. And probably, I think by the time this podcast is out, it's probably already there. So you can probably already um, go and have a look. Do you have some founding partners who's come in on that? Just about, just, just getting them there. Obviously, it's nice to have, you know, something in place, you know, when you're kind of like getting people on board. But yeah, we're very close with a number of partners. But for us, again, it's like, you know, it's, it's build phase. It's, it's, it's getting this thing out there. It's building up that, that audience. I think that the bit that we think is really important here, I guess there's a couple of things I just wanted to add on top of what Sam was just saying, 
is that you know, we obviously, from what we've said today, yes, we believe there's a future for Web3 and we think it's going to have impact. We're not here, though, to defend everything in Web3. So, you know, for example, are there things that are still clunky and could be better? Absolutely. And that can be both in terms of technology, it can be in terms of, you know, energy impact, you know, things like that. You know, it can be in, in terms of things like, you know, um, the scams and things like that that have happened within crypto. We're not here to defend all of that. In fact, we're here to shine a light on that. We're here to talk about that. Because I think one of the things that's holding back the space is there is nowhere where you can kind of go that talks about all of Web3 and talks about it in a way that's independent. So unlike mainstream media, it's it's not trying to cut the thing down and, you know, death riding it and hoping that this is the, the latest sort of bear market that's going to kill it off because it's not but what we are and we're definitely excited by it and we think there's a great future but we also think it's really important that someone's talking about it in a fair and balanced way so you know calling out the ponzi schemes saying where things could be better as much as we're talking about the awesome use cases and the great businesses that are coming through especially in australia which is really punching above its weight in this space as well we're a real hotbed of of innovation here so anyway and, and we think that actually is one of the biggest things probably holding back i know me personally in terms of thinking about investing in this area you know one of the things that holds me back is like how do i know wh- what i can trust where do i find that information and that's why we think this is really really important and you're right it's quite binary and at the moment you see main media saying you know it's dead or it's it's, it's either bull or it's bust or boom um and there's, there's not a lot in between so, yeah, I may not be in your target market, but I may be a, a reader just saying. Um, we can't finish this podcast up without shedding some light or at least giving your perspective on what the hell this metaverse thing is about because I can't find it. I don't know what it is. I know there's a lot of talk about it. I know the industry, per usual, it's the new shiny thing. So I see so many contributors wanting to you know, write for MI3 and talk about the opportunity in the metaverse. And uh, I want your guys' perspective on is it overcooked? Is it right now as far as what's available and what you can do? Absolutely. So I think uh, the hype right now is definitely beyond the reality. And here's another thing. I think there are some big, big barriers to get over. So one of the key tenets of Web3 is this, um, I think Sam talked about it earlier, is it, about things being open source, right? That you can go anywhere and you know no one owns the code it's something that everyone can work with well if you have a look at who's having some of the big plays at the metaverse they're clearly going for owned metaverses right and that's i think it's kind of an anathema to the idea of web3 and where a lot of the benefits are so that's going to be a problem and already i think a lot of those companies are having to get together to have conversations to make sure that you can actually if you go to their different versions of the metaverse that 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 can work Look, for me, I actually think the other bit is that there's a lot of skewmorphism going on. And for those, you know, skewmorphism is when we get a new technology and what we tend to do is try and make it look like how we do things at the moment rather than, you know, using that technology to do everything it could do in the future. It's like using earlier on using webs, using the web as a sort of a, an electronic brochure when we were in the, in the transition. Exactly right. And so, and I think at the moment, so I think whatever that sort of metaverse is going to look like, it probably looks nothing like what people are trying to do at the moment. So like, you know, that kind of little avatar, half avatar of Mark Zuckerberg is probably not going to be the thing that's going to make the metaverse work. I mean, I think there are already examples of places where you can see where it can work, which is obviously around gaming. And there's a lot going on there. And there are a lot of things that are happening with Web3 companies that I think can really make that happen. And it'll probably happen one piece at a time. We'll probably start with gaming and start to broaden out from there. 
But yeah, I think the things that we're looking at at the moment would almost 100% bet against it being what you know um, the metaverse is going to be. So agencies, marketers, technologists, calm the farm a little bit is what you would counsel. Like, for example, talking about skeuomorphism. So, you know, what people have immediately started doing is like, oh, so you're a, a shoe luxury shoe brand. So clearly you're going to want to do a luxury shoe in a metaverse. It's like, actually, if you're a luxury brand, I think there's great opportunity for people to buy rather than just buying things online to rather to buy online things. I think that's a massive opportunity. And if you think about it, it absolutely blows up your market opportunity. But it doesn't mean just because you're a luxury shoe brand, people are going to buy some sort of luxury shoe on a metaverse. You've got to think a little bit more laterally about how you use that brand and how people might want to use that brand to represent themselves. I think they're definitely going to want to do that online. If you want to call that a metaverse, maybe. But I think we need to get away from that sort of, like I say, that skeuomorphic approach. So that's quite linear what you're talking about is where we may be approaching. I think my colleague Brendan Coyne had a really interesting conversation in Cannes the other month with um, one of the gaming companies and they were using the example, I'm going to get in trouble here, it was either Kraft or Heinz or one of those consumer goods brands in a game, I can't remember which one it was, but instead to your point of going, okay, let's put a you know a baked beans kiosk in, in a game, they actually created a safe space for gamers so that when you're in the middle of it and you're about to have a drink of your Pepsi at two o'clock in the morning, there's a little room you can find where you can't get busted and you can't get destroyed or killed and it's like literally you've got 20 seconds in there and there's a functional benefit that came from a brand to help. It's that sort of lateral thinking that maybe you're talking about. Is that right or am I way off the mark? No, no, that sounds fun. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea. I think, okay. it's def- I think there's definitely along the line. Tick, Paul. Sam, so Metaverse, are you a fan? Yeah, so it's basically at the moment just like via different types of platforms if you want to have a little squiz. So, so I should actually send you one, a link. And Please. It's really addictive. But basically like Decentraland, Sandbox, Crypto Voxels, who, who are Voxels now, Down Under as well, those guys. And yeah, it's there's definitely a lot of people who are – in there to play. There's a lot of brands and companies who I think are using it as an opportunity for a bit of a PR stunt to say that they've gotten there first. But in saying that, it's just going to keep building. You've also got like Hong Kong, Tokyo, who are building like um, universities and there will be a point in the near future, I think within the next like... So they're metaverse in, meta universities, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Zuckerberg set it off right. and people are now... I do see it as the new digital space race. There's just not a whole lot you can do yet because we need to develop more technology around how do you actually interact with other people than just your avatar moving up towards another avatar, for example. So, yeah. Yeah, right. Well, in full blockchain transparency and disclosure, I worry when Mark Zuckerberg sets something off and we all run that way. But nevertheless, that's another conversation. Hey, listen, I look forward to uh, checking out the chainsaw when it launches and, and learning some stuff. So good luck with that. And uh, I'm no doubt we will, um, if this thing rockets, I'm sure we'll loop around and, well, if it rockets or, or dives, we'll have a conversation anyway. It's an interesting one, a big, big, ambitious, brave play. Or maybe not. Actually, you guys are probably seeing stuff that I'm not. So good luck with it. And let's see how this thing tracks and loop around. Thanks for joining Matt and Sam. Thanks, Paul. LFG. Thanks, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.